Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Welcome, everybody, to the 10th edition of the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. I appreciate you guys being here. This is episode number 10, and all the show notes for this episode will be found at scottrossonline.com slash discipleship10, discipleship the number 10. We've been in the midst of a study on the book of John as well as studying how to study your Bible, how to properly interpret Scripture. And I've got a lot of new people who are diving into the podcast for the first time. And it's interesting because we started from a place of discipling people who had recently come to Christ. And what we're finding is that a lot of people who are just interested in the idea of Christianity are starting to listen to the podcast. And so I felt it was my obligation to go back to the very, very beginning and start with the foundation. And so today we're going to start a discussion on the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very central notion of Christianity. And what this is going to do is actually lead us into a study on all of the Christian doctrines. But today, what I wanted to do is just give a very clear and concise presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so before we dive in, let's just pray, and then we'll get into the study. Lord, thank you so much for the... Lord, thank you so much for this study. Thank you so much for the people who are listening, wherever they may be. I just pray for them right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working on their hearts, that you would be our instructor, our counselor, our guide. You would lead us into wisdom and to truth. I just pray that every single person within the sound of my voice would come to know you as their Savior and ultimately their Lord. And I just pray that you will then start the process of sanctification, that we might become holy as you are holy and make an impact in the world for eternity and be prepared to continue to work as your partners for all time. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. So we're going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to look at this idea of the gospel. And we're not going to be able to get through it all in this particular episode, but We will start here, and then in the next episode, we'll finish up. But I think this is going to be a very, very rich look at this idea called the gospel. In this podcast, what I want to do is go back to the very beginning, and I want to talk about the most essential component in all of Christianity. In fact, I want to talk about what I believe to be the most important question, discussion, topic that every human is ever going to face. And this topic is the gospel. Now, many people have heard that term, the gospel, and not really sure what it means. The phrase, the gospel, actually just means good news. The gospel is good news. In fact, it is great news. What is this good news? Well, we can get good news in all forms. You know, someone can call us and tell us that something positive happened. Like they could call us and say, hey, your favorite sports team drafted this really great player. That's good news. Or they could call you and tell you that, you know, you got promoted at work. That's good news. But what is the best form of good news? The best form of good news is when we're anticipating something bad happening, something negative happening. And suddenly, 
we get news that it's been reversed. You're waiting on a really bad diagnosis from the doctor. You're waiting on bad news. And they come in and say, good news. Everything actually is completely the opposite of what we expected. You're completely healthy. Congratulations. That is terrific news. You're a student and you're anticipating some big punishment coming down from on high. And what do you get told? Hey, you've gotten a reprieve. Great news. You were thinking you weren't going to get the loan on the house. And all of a sudden they call you and say, hey, you know what? Unbelievable miracle. We got you the loan. Great news. When we're anticipating something bad happening and we find out that the reverse is available to us, it is not just good news. It is great news. And that is the nature of the gospel. This is not just good news. In fact, this is not just great news. This is the best news you could ever hope for because we have the worst possible situation, the situation that is completely without hope. And we're going to find out that it's not without hope. In fact, it is nothing but hope. It is completely a reversal of fortunes. And all the great things we could ever hope for are suddenly made available to us. More than we could ever hope for is made available to us. That is the nature of the gospel. So what do I mean by that? Let's dive in. Let me just tell you a quick story. And many of you may be familiar with this story. But I'm going to tell you this story, and it's a true story. And the story is how we got here. You see, Roughly 6,000 years ago, God made the heavens and the earth in a literal six days. He spoke them into existence. Some of you may have been told the opposite of that. Some of you may have been convinced that only ignorant, stupid people would ever believe that God made the earth in six days, that all real intellectuals, all people with any kind of scientific knowledge whatsoever believe that we evolved from goo over billions and billions of years. Let me just tell you, that idea is pure nonsense with zero, zero scientific validation. And it is through pure propaganda and the fear of you learning the facts that you have been convinced of what you've been convinced of. Now, this podcast is not to discuss that. I've discussed this in the, in other forms. You can go to scottrossonline.com and you can uh, look up several things. In fact, I'll post those links in the show notes under scottrossonline.com slash discipleship10. But Forget this notion that you evolved over billions of years. You did not evolve over billions of years. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. So going back to our story, God makes the earth in six days and he puts two humans on the planet. They are named Adam and Eve. And God wants a relationship with these people that is a genuine relationship. He does not want some sort of robotically programmed relationship. You know, the analogy I give is um, I have a dog and I love dogs. Dogs are the greatest animal maybe ever made by God. And when I come home, my dog is fired up to see me. Now, if I offered you a robot dog that I would program to be fired up, or I would give you a real dog that would genuinely be fired up to see you, which one would you prefer? 
Of course, we would prefer the real dog. We want real relationship. Someone who has no choice in saying whether they love us or not doesn't really do a lot for us. So God needed us to have the genuine relationship with him or he didn't need anything. That's a poor choice of words. He desired to be in genuine relationship with us. And so he created a situation where we could choose to not be in relationship with him. And he gave Adam and Eve access to everything they could ever want. They're in this unbelievable paradise, but there's one tree and in that tree, on that tree is fruit. And he says, you cannot eat of that fruit. You can have everything else, but that fruit you cannot eat because if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Well, Just like humans, what does Adam and Eve do? They beeline for the fruit they can't have. They've got the entire earth available to them, and they go straight to the one fruit that they are told they can't have. Adam and Eve consume that fruit. By the way, a little side sermonette here. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. Adam does what men have been doing for millennia since, and that is abdicating their responsibility and blaming the woman for their problems. It's really on him. He's standing right there watching her do it, not stepping up, not being the leader. She eats the fruit. He immediately takes a bite right after her. When that happens, I'm done with the sermonette, by the way. When that happens, death enters, and they didn't physically die. They spiritually died. And at that point, sin entered the world, and it has corrupted everything about our creation ever since. Even the earth, it says, groans under the ramifications of sin. And we know this to be true. We have this giant cosmic problem of sin. See, some people... If I was to ask the average person on the street, and in fact, most of you who are listening to this podcast, if I was to be sitting with you and I was to ask you, why are you, or or, or if I was to say, are you going to heaven? Most everyone would say, yes, I'm going to heaven. I have never met a person who said, no, I'm not going to heaven. I mean, it it happens. You have people who are kind of being snide and they're like, nah, I'll see you in hell, you know, but really they don't really want that to be true. They don't really think that's going to be true. They might think they turn into nothing, but they definitely don't think they're going to a place called hell. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. And if I say, why are you going to heaven? Most of them are going to give me something like this. Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person and their standards are really low. You know, they'll say things like, well, I haven't murdered anybody or raped anyone. So, okay, wow, all you have to do is not murder or rape and you get into heaven, according to the average person. They're comparing themselves to some worst version of humanity. Well, the problem is, is that that's not true. You see, all of us have had this problem called sin. Romans 3.23 says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, people say, well, I haven't sinned. I... Okay, well, let's just start with the basics. You know, we have the Ten Commandments. You know, they're not the Ten Cool Ideas, the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. Let's just do number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Raise your hand if you have never loved anything for even a moment more than God. All hands are down. Okay, this says you shall not make any idols. Okay, raise your hand if you have never worshipped something more than you've worshipped God. The car you wanted, the girl you wanted to go out with, the promotion you were dying to get, the amount of money you wanted to make, um, you know, that outfit, that watch, that sports team. 
Okay, all hands are down. We're not even two in, and nobody can raise their hand. Okay, how about this? You shall not make, uh, or you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. So raise your hand if you have never once in your life used the name of God or of Jesus Christ as a curse word or a profanity or taken it in vain. All hands are still down. How about fourth one? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Raise your hand if you have never once missed a Sabbath worship. Mm. So we're not even four in, and we haven't kept any of them. Uh, Fifth is honor your father and mother. Of course, we've all dishonored our father and mother. Six says you shall not murder. Of course, Christ said that if you have hatred towards your brother in your heart, you have already committed murder. We missed that. You shall not commit adultery. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart or a man with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery already. Etc. I mean, guys, we can't even get through the first two or three commandments, and we've broken them all. Everyone listening knows you've broken them. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem is that sin has separated us from God. If you look at Isaiah 59, 2 as an example, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So we are separated from God. We've all fallen short of him. And then here's where the death part comes in. See, we have all spiritually died. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The other problem is that sin has made it impossible to please God. Romans 3.10 through 12 says, It is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Sin has made it where we cannot even please God. We won't even seek after God on our own. And then... This is where the real problem comes in. Is We're separated from God. We cannot please God. We're all falling short of his standard of holiness. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 tells us that we're going to face destruction because of this situation. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So let's just sum up. We've got a giant problem here. We're separated from God. We cannot please him. People think, I hear people say, well, I'm going to get right with God first, then I'll start going to church. Or I'm going to get right with God, then I'm going to start reading the Bible or whatever. You can't do it. We can't please Him. We can't turn to Him. We can't fix it on our own. And if we stay in this condition, we're doomed to eternal punishment. So what are we to do? Terrible situation. Desperate, hopeless situation. Aha. The good news. Praise God, he has made a way. All the way back in the garden, when he finds Adam and Eve sitting there trying to hide from him because they know they have sinned, they know they've screwed it up, he proclaims there will be a way. In Genesis 3.15, he has something called the Proto-Evangelion, and the Proto-Evangelion says, it's the first pronouncement of the good news, he says, there's, you know, this enemy that you have, and the enemy is the serpent. And he says, I'm going to put enmity, enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, meaning the serpent's offspring, and her offspring. And he, the woman's offspring, will 
crush your head, but you, the serpent's offspring, shall bruise his heel. We're told there's going to be an answer, and the answer that's going to crush the head of the serpent is going to be a person, the offspring of a woman. And this is the first pronouncement of this idea of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, I'm going to go through this in a lot of ways, but let me just give you some scripture. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, through nine, it says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, untimely born, he also appeared to me. The gospel is a person. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And as it says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's the, here's the short thing, and then we're going to dive into this in detail. We needed an answer to this problem, and the answer to the problem was foretold to be a person. And 2,000 years ago, that person showed up. They are That person is Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And this Son, Jesus, has made a way for all of us to come back to God, to be back in relationship with God and to have our sin, which is separating us from God, no longer be an issue. And so what I want to do is I want to look at all the facets of what Christ did and how he did it and why Christ is the only way back to God. There's people who have this idea, they say, all roads lead to Rome. No, they don't. Some of them lead to Dallas and to New York. There's this idea that all religions say the same thing. This is pure nonsense. Have you studied the religions? Oh my goodness. They all say dramatically different things. I've talked about this in previous podcasts as well. I'm not going to get into it, but Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall enter the Father but through me. Let me explain to you why he is the only possible way back to God. There's a bunch of different aspects to how we're saved and what makes us saved. You know, if if we're dead in our sin... What is it that moves us from death to life? If you imagine there's a little wall, and on one side of the wall is death, and on the other side of the wall is life, something has to move us from death to life. What are the ingredients in that? What does it require? Well, that's what we're going to look at. And only Christ can fulfill all of these aspects of what is necessary. 
The first thing we need is some means of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a big word, and it means to bring us into harmony or make us friendly with something again. I already told you that we are separated from God. We are an enemy of God, in fact, when we are not in Christ. And so sin has separated us from him. We cannot be in relationship with him. In fact, his face is hidden from us, going back to that Isaiah passage. So we need a way to be reconciled, to be brought back into harmony with God, to be made friendly with God. Well, Christ has done that. Romans 5.10 says, for While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says, All this is from God who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. One more, Colossians 1, 20 through 21 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, I relate to that last passage so much because. I was an atheist, and I was an enemy of God. You know, it's very, very illogical, but it's so crazy because if you meet atheists, they actually are angry at God. And you say, how is it possible for you to be angry at something you say doesn't exist? It's they actually know he exists deep down in their hearts, and they're just pissed. They're bitter. They're filled with anger. That was me. I was angry. And it says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, that was me. I was looking to try to take people's faith from them. I was looking to try to diminish the church, to combat Christians, combat religion. I was alienated from God. I was hostile in my mind. And I was also doing evil deeds. I absolutely was a sinner and living a sinful life. And When Christ goes to the cross and he pays the price on the cross, it says to us in these three passages, and I'm just citing these three for brevity's sake, that in doing so, he reconciles us to him. What I love is in that Romans passage, it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He didn't come die for us because we were beautiful to him, because we were obedient already, because we were already trying. Quite the opposite. We were enemies of God. You know, again, people say things like, I'm going to get my life right. You cannot get your life right. If you could get your life right in and of yourself, Christ would not have needed to come here. The most amazing thing is that he died for us while we were shaking our fist at him, while we were cursing him, while we were spitting on him. You know, when Christ had the nails being driven through his hand, I, Scott Ross, 
was holding the hammer, driving the nails. When they were whipping him, I was holding the whip, and he still died for me, and he still died for you. We must be reconciled to God, and it is only through Christ that that can happen. The other thing we have to do is we have to turn away God's wrath. Now, this is a big word called propitiation. Propitiation is the appeasement or the turning away of wrath. It's in Greek, it's halosmos. It's used two times in 1 John 2.2 and in 1 John 4.10. In 1 John 2.2, it says, he is the, meaning Christ, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is an appeasement, a satisfaction, a propitiation. It means that Christ is satisfying God's holy wrath, and only he can satisfy his holy wrath because he is God. He is God's one and only son. So he is the only mechanism that can appease his wrath. I mean, an analogy I use with people when I'm discipling them is, you know, let's say that, you know, whoever did, how many of you guys ever remember doing something that made your mom or your dad really mad? Like an example of me is if my dad got really, really mad at me for something. And then your mom comes in and she, you know, softens the blow. She, you know, says to them, oh, honey, it's come here. I made you this nice meal. You know, don't worry about him. I'll talk to him about that. You know, you've worked so hard. Come and sit down. You know, can I bring you anything? What is mom doing there? She is propitiation. She is turning away your dad's wrath. That's what Christ did On a cosmic scale, he turned away the wrath of God. I read you that passage earlier when we were looking at the fact that all of us are right now going to be facing God's wrath unless something major happens. Well, Christ caused that wrath to be satisfied, to be turned away. The next thing we need is something called redemption. Now, redemption is a marketplace term, and it means liberation due to some sort of significant payment that has been made. Um, The Greek word is agorazo. Actually, that's just one of the Greek words, and it comes from this idea in the marketplace where you would purchase or buy something from the marketplace. In ancient times, slaves were brought to the marketplace, and they were put on the slave block, and then they would be traded or sold to the highest bidder, and that was called a redemption. Well, We are slaves to sin, and we are under the mastery of sin. In fact, in Romans, it makes it clear that there's this master-slave relationship, sin being the master, we being the slave. And what's beautiful is that Christ has purchased us out of slavery. Think about the abolitionists that would go in and they would buy a slave just to set them free. This is redemption. This is what Christ has done for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God with your body. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. 2 Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, and these false teachers will infiltrate <laughs> These false teachers will infiltrate your midst with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. As a result, they will be, bring swift destruction on themselves. Agarazzo stresses Christ's sovereign worth, his value, and thus his ability to redeem us from the slave block of sin by paying the price of our redemption. By the way, what was the price? His blood, you were bought with a price. It's the precious blood of Christ that purchased us. There's another kind of uh, uh, take on this word, and it's exagerazo, and it's a compound verb derived from the preposition ek, meaning out of. We get ex, like an exit uh, out of this, and it means to purchase out of or to buy out of or to ransom out of. It has this idea of deliverance. To it. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us, exagerazo, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hang, is hanged on a tree. This word places more emphasis emphasis on the deliverance and the freedom part of the redemption. Believers have been set free from the slave master the law, sin, and its indictment and condemnation of man as a sinner. We also have another word, and that word is lutreo. And this word comes from something that means a ransom price. It's like the idea that you've been kidnapped and a ransom has been paid to get you back. So it means to, re- lutreo means to release someone or to get someone released, I should say, by paying a price. And this is the word used in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It's also the word in Hebrews 9.14 when it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It emphasizes this idea of paying so that someone is released. They are redeemed. They are ransomed. The other marketplace word we have that also has to be addressed is expiation. Now, expiation means to undo a wrong done by paying or suffering the penalty for that wrong that the law demands. Let me say that again. It means to undo a wrong that's been done by paying or suffering the penalty for that wrong that the law demands. So let's say that if you speed, there's a $200 fine. You have to pay. The law demands $200 for going over the speed limit. Expiation would be the payment of that $200 to satisfy or undo the wrong of speeding. So expiation means to remove the penalty that's been officially imposed by the law. Well, the law says that when you sin, you have to die. Sin means you must be separated from God. Sin means you must be punished, as we saw earlier. 
Well, fortunately, Christ also has provided expiation. Colossians 2.14 says, He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Listen to the power of these words. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness. We owed a debt we could never pay. And the law, the court of law is saying, you must pay this debt. You must pay this penalty. The law demands a penalty. And he says, nope, I'm going to take away that certificate of indebtedness and I'm going to get rid of it. And how did he do it? He nailed it to the cross, having canceled out, canceled The Greek word here in Colossians 2.14 that we translate canceled is the Greek exalepho, and it means to wipe out or to wipe off. And it was used with the idea here is smearing out or wiping off letters or words that have been written in wax or in chalk. Back in the day, they used to write in wax or they would write on like chalkboard. And it's this Greek word that means you wiped that out. So the indebtedness is written in wax or in chalk. And that Christ has come along and just wiped it off. He just cleaned the slate. He's wiped the accounting item off the ledger. That's expiation. So powerful. So I think that's a pretty good place for us to take a break for this episode. Next episode, we will dive into the second part of this. But, you know, we've covered some very, very powerful truths. First of all, that we have a major problem. We are separated from God by our sin, and we are under his wrath and his judgment. And we had no hope. And suddenly, we have hope. We have great news. And the great news is the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that Jesus Christ is unique in that he provides reconciliation, bringing us back into harmony with God. He has provided propitiation, which is the turning away of wrath. He has redeemed us, and he has also bought us out of slavery. So with that said, uh, guys, God bless you. Think on these ideas, meditate on these ideas, and in the next episode, we'll dive into the very end, and then I've got a lot of terrific application for you. With that said, God bless you. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.